And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. The Old Testament book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, will be our focus today. Pastor Elliot originally preached this sermon to his church in Pennsylvania. You'll notice that it was an American election year. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliot. The sermon is titled, Spiritual Recovery, No Other God, and it's based strictly on Joel chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. But that being said, I need to give you some preceding context uh, in order to preach 15 through 17. We need to look at the verse, some verses that precede. Basically, let me overview this to say that the major chunk of the book that this three verses comes from would be in the chunk that are uh, verses 15 through 27. We're going to divide those verses into two parts. Part one is only verses 15 to 17, and these verses deal with spiritual recovery, and it was Israel's need when Joel ministered, and it remains the church's need of this hour. Part two, which we won't cover, is verses 18 to 27, and these deal with no other God for the Jews. So the full prescription that God had for a wayward Judah was first a call to spiritual recovery, and second, that that call to spiritual recovery would look like God's people not having other gods, idols. That's the whole prescription. We're just going to look at part of the prescription, which is spiritual recovery being necessary and needful, which is verses 15, 16, and 17. I hope you'll recall that when we're in the book of Joel, we're in one of the minor prophets that came to warn Israel, actually Judah, the two southern tribes that remained after the 10 northern tribes fell into Assyrian captivity in 722 BC. They were being warned, these two remaining southern tribes called Judah, that their spiritual state was unacceptable to God. And God got their attention and tried to wake them up by some severe judgments, judgments that they couldn't uh, go around, judgments they couldn't deny, judgments they couldn't miss. And you recall, I hope, that when Joel ministered, these severe judgments from God on Judah involved an unprecedented infestation of locusts a drought, a lack of rain, and fires. And together, this uh, judgment of locust, drought, and fires had devastated the crops of ancient Judah. They were an agrarian society. They lived on agriculture. They lived on the food they produced from their farms, and they also uh, sold their uh, agricultural products as their primary export to the other nations. So when God sent these locusts to devour the crops and drought to make those crops not even grow, and then fires to wipe out whatever remaining crops there were, the average uh, Jew uh, should have said, something is wrong. Uh, Something doesn't pass the smell test here in my spiritual life. Maybe our nation is wayward. Maybe our nation is uh, displeasing to our God of covenant. And so these things, the locusts, the drought, and the fires were to call Judah to a spiritual recovery. 
not an economic recovery, not a societal recovery, not an educational recovery, a spiritual recovery. And in this election year, you're going to hear all kinds of rhetoric from both parties. The primary need in America is an economic recovery. Well, we need an economic recovery, there is no doubt. But America's primary need is a sin recovery need. We need to recover from our national and personal sins. That's the greatest need. And so this spiritual recovery back then was desperately needed, and it was needed fast. There were no uh, margins in the nation. There were no reserves. If they didn't turn around and turn around fast spiritually, it was dire. It wasn't going to get better unless they repented. In verses 15 to 17, lay out a plan for spiritual recovery back then, And I'd submit that 15 to 17 currently lays out a spiritual plan for recovery for us, the church. So listen, please, with me to Joel 2, 15 to 17. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O God, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? Will you notice with me that these verses were directed to the priests? who, of course, were to be the spiritual leaders of the Jews. If you look back with me to verses 12 and 13, God previously had given directions for spiritual recovery to the garden-variety, normal, everyday Jew. And in verses 12 to 13 of Joel 2, he tells the average man and woman in the Jewish nation what they should do. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. So the average Jewish person back in the time of Joel, a prophet, had already been prescribed a remedy for spiritual recovery. And God had told the average person, when Joel was preaching his sermons back then, he told the average person uh, five things, according to verses 12 and 13. God told them through the prophet, number one, return to the Lord. That was a general call to repentance. We see it in 12 part A. Verse 12, part A. Secondly, not only were they to return to the Lord, but the average Jew was to return to the Lord with their whole hearts. The Hebrew concept of the heart is lave. It means the launching pad of our decisions, the uh, home base of our emotions and our feelings, the uh, governor of our priorities. It was far more than the uh, fist-sized blood pump in the chest. It was a spiritual heart. And God told the average Jew when Joel was preaching to return to the Lord, verse 12a, but not only that, to return to the Lord with their whole hearts. 
That was that the driving force of their return to God was to be this lathe, this Hebrew concept of where their thoughts and their emotions and their choices were born. That's verse 12b. And by the way, any repentance in us as individuals, in the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, and in the nation of America as a collective group of citizens, any repentance will have to be driven by the heart, not by the intellect, not by the pocketbook, but by the heart. The Hebrew verb, which is translated here to return, has that basic meaning. It means to turn back to a starting point. It means to reverse. It means to do again. It means to reestablish. It means to restore. It means to repent. And to the degree that the nation back then would turn back to their starting point of being in love with Yahweh, to the degree they'd reverse from their sin, to the degree that they would do again what they knew to do spiritually in worship and service and sacrifice, to the degree that they would reestablish their walk with Yahweh God, to the degree that they would restore their passion for his glory, to the degree that they would repent, to that degree they could see the judgments of God lifted and his blessing reestablished in their nation. And so carrying on with verses 12 and 13, the general call to repentance on the average Jew to review, number one, they were to return to the Lord. Number two, they were to do so with their whole heart. Number three, they were to fast. That was to be one outward manifestation of the return of their heart to Yahweh. They were to fast, verse 12c. See it there? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we're going to continue on Jesus in tough times. And what we're going to look at this morning is faith in tough times. As you remember, the last time we talked, we talked about how Jesus was wrestling with his encounter as he knew the cross was coming and he was praying to his father and the disciples would not they couldn't stay awake and um he just was wrestling with the whole you know if this can be taken away from me let it be done but i want to do the father's will and today we want to talk about lazarus and we want to talk about the story of lazarus and how we see in his family how you know things had changed and how that his family was you know in a sense blaming jesus in a sense, for if you were here, this wasn't going to happen. But I want to ask you this question. What happens when life is going wrong? How are you supposed to act? Each of us on our journey with Christ can shove down our emotions and just pretend that everything is all right. Or we can just think to ourselves, well, you know, where is Jesus during these tough times? And let's be honest. We've all been through different tough times and, you know, we all deal with them differently. Some people are great and they can deal with tough times very easily and they can get through them and, you know, they can really um, trust, you know, Christ and trust God through the situation. But the reality is that many times in life, you know, people go on the other side where they don't react well and they don't know how to react because, you know, this emotion that is going on in them is, is too strong. And I think that as we look at this month's passage, we're going to see how Jesus himself shows his humanity. But Jesus himself, you know, as we're going to see in this passage, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But I want to start off in John chapter 11. And it says this. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. 
Mary was one, the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. As we can see here, Jesus had a great relationship with Lazarus. And here it is, you know, Mary and Martha, they know the source where to go. Jesus, I need you to come because I know that you can do something about the situation. You can change the situation. And if we need to understand in our own lives, this is how we need to react. When we go through these trials and we go through these tribulations, we need to understand that we need to call on God. As we're going to look and, we, and we're going to see, you know, we need to recognize that even though we call on God, doesn't mean that everything is just going to be okay. It's going to be a tough time. And it's all going to be done by God's will. I want you to imagine for a second, I'm sure we all who are listening, whether you're young or older, I want us to imagine that you've had a loved one who has passed away. And when that loved one has passed away, I'm sure if you're a born-again believer, you pray to God and, you know, you ask God to help. And in, in fact, even those who don't profess to be Christians, they want to pray at this time. And the reality is that we can pray to God and we ask God, God, can you change the situation? But let's be honest, God has his own plan. And his plans are not our plans. His plans are greater than our plans. And we can't see it as we're going through the situation. But it's more in our passage, as like I said, as we see, they call on Jesus. We're going to skip forward to verse 17, but we need to understand what happened. Here it is, Jesus, you know, Lazarus has, has died. And, and, and here it is that Jesus comes back. And in verse 17 of John chapter 11 says this, When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Again, this is to signify that he was truly dead, that he was not just asleep or, you know, anything else, but he was dead. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Imagine that. Here it is, you know, this isn't a long distance. This is only two miles away. You know, Jesus could have easily come and dealt with the situation and done whatever he wanted to do, but he was doing other stuff. And here it is, Mary and Martha, they get upset. As many of the Jews had come to comfort Mary and Martha about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Again, we go through trials, we go through tribulation, we go through tough times. And in fact, as we consider this, as we go through a death in the family, we can sometimes get mad at God and point the finger at God. Why did you let this happen, God? And sometimes, like I said, this can turn people away from God and then they feel like there's no one else there. But the reality is that God is always in. Again, God is working because he is sovereign. He's in control and it's all a part of his plan. But I think sometimes what happens to us is we get so caught up in wanting things done our way that we don't we forget the big picture of God. And I can talk in my own personal life as, as I consider and, and I've come to a realization of you know, sovereignty of God, that this helps me through tough times. This helps me through tribulations because I know that God is in control. He has a plan. And I know that you may be listening to this this morning, and, you know, almost every Christian would probably tell you, I know God is in control. But the reality is that do we truly believe that? Do we truly live that in our life? Do we truly, you know, as the plans are, are, are going through God's plans, how do we respond? Now, am I telling you this morning that you can't be upset or, you know, or 
you know, you cry, however you deal with, you know, your emotions. No, I'm not saying that. Because I think that as a human being, we need to understand that we all deal with emotion differently. There are some people who can, you know, just forget about something, get past it. But I think we need to understand something as each individual is this, is that we need to talk about it. Because I think what happens is, as we consider this passage, here it is, Martha is talking to Jesus about it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What happens a lot of times is, is, as us, as you know, people, we want to keep our emotions inside. We want to, you know, just let them stay inside and don't deal with them, and they just eat us up inside. And what happens is we go out and do things that we regret. You know, we go and either sometimes some people will respond by going out and drinking going out and, and finding, you know, other things to fulfill life because right now I'm going through this tough time and I feel like Christ is in no way around me. But let's be honest, God is always there. Verse 22 says this, Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So we see even in her asking, of Lord, you have been here. She still has faith to believe that, you know what? God can do anything. God can do anything in the situation. What about you this morning? Where are you with God? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know that God can, can change you? Do you know that God is there for you as you go through these tough times? That Do you have faith in God? Because the reality is that you don't have faith in God in tough times and you have no hope. For the Christian out there, you may be going through a tough time in life. You may be going through a, a divorce, a breakup. As a, as a teenager, your, your family may, you know, be breaking up. Where do you turn? Well, I would recommend you talk to someone. But remember that God is always there. Remember that God is a father that we can look at and say, you know what, I can trust this father because I know he's always going to be there. I know he's there for me. And I would challenge you this morning, again, if you are going through a tough time, please, Speak to someone about it. Talk to someone. Because the reality is as, as long as you let this eat you alive, it's only gonna do it's only gonna be worse. It's only gonna get worse for you because you're not putting your faith and trust in Christ, but you're putting your faith and trust in the circumstances. And the reality is that we need to put our faith and trust in Christ who knows what's best in everything. We may not like it. But his plan is going to be better than any plan that we may have. So I would challenge you again, if you are going through a tough time, please, you can call me or you can call the Christian Counseling Center because I think that you need to get help because you never know what can happen during this time. This is Pastor Nicholas and you've been listening to another edition of Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm so pleased to have in the recording studio with me this morning, a lovely couple from Wales. They live on Anglesey Island off the north coast of Wales, Philip and Margaret Evans. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This morning, I would like to visit with you, Margaret, about some of the things that God is using you to do for the glory of Christ there in Wales. And I understand that one of those things is something we could call a school ministry. And I was hoping you could help our listeners know what is that. In Anglesey um, and Wales, and even in the UK, in primary schools, 
It's part of the curriculum that children up to the age of 11 should learn the Old and New Testaments, learn about the Bible. Wonderful. Also, they are taught other religions, but at the moment, we're free to teach them about the Bible. So I have been trained, as many others too, to do a program called Bible Explorers, which is part of Walk Through the Bible Ministries. And it's particularly geared up for ages 10 to 11, Mm. which is the top two years of our primary schools, just before they go on to secondary school Mm -hmm. and become teenagers. The program teaches the, the children the outline and the overall picture of the Bible. It's created to be kinetic. The children participate. They learn a series of hand signs and keywords, mm-hmm. which keeps them active and keeps them attentive and helps them to learn. And it goes through the whole of the outline of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We teach five one-hour lessons, one a week, regarding the Old Testament, five one-hour lessons, again, one a week, for the New Testament. And uh, so the children will act out some of the stories and uh, we'll show DVD clips and, you know, in in innovative ways, help them to enjoy learning the wonderful stories of the Bible. Yes. And the young children find them so exciting, which they are. Yes. And it's wonderful that we are able to tell these stories of what God has done uh, from the point of view of believing them. Hmm. So it's not just a school lesson, not because we are preaching the gospel, because of course we don't do that, but when we tell them what God says and what God does, they hear it and they learn. Mm-hmm. And and it's so beautiful. In fact, um, on one occasion, we've been talking about the how God answers prayer, because he does in the stories of the Bible. Yes. And the Bible speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, And a little girl came in the next week and she said, I remember how you said about that man prayed and God answered. And I had a problem. I prayed and God answered. Beautiful. So, yes, it's absolutely wonderful. And uh, some children, they they come in and they say, you really believe this, don't you? Hmm. So, you know, we just feel that it's a a fabulous opportunity to, to come alongside these young ones. And it's just before, when they go to the secondary school, they are not taught the Bible in such a way. And many things are challenged. And morality, of course, is is not as the Bible would uh, say. They have many challenges as and as they're growing up. So we are so happy to be able to put a foundation into them and just show them, you know, who God is and uh, what he does for people. So it's a great privilege. There is also, um, along with the lesson, there's a set of worksheets to fill in with puzzles and and things to fill in, which again helps to cement it. They go over it again, cement it in their hearts and minds. And uh, we believe you know, seeds are planted that will never be snatched away. I mean, in fact, I've been doing this now for 12 or 13 years. In fact, I was surprised when I met quite a young woman who said, I remember you from school. <laughs> and then I started counting the years up. Um, but they don't forget. They don't forget. It's planted there. And as we pray over it, the Holy Spirit just maintains those seeds in their heart. And we just believe that in due course, you know, Holy Spirit watering, they will all come to a knowledge of Jesus as their Savior, which yes. is the most important thing yes. in life, that they can know him 
and uh, give their lives to him, enjoy him, be saved, and uh, fulfill the purpose and plan God has for them because God has a plan for every single person. Yes, he does. And uh, it's our joy to find it for ourselves. Different for everyone. Everyone has different giftings, but God has a plan for you. And uh, as you ask him, he will show you what he wants you to be doing, whether it be near or far. He has good things for you. That is wonderful to hear about. I'm not sure. I think it might have been the Billy Graham Association. But I heard that um, a study was done and 80 percent Mm. of born-again believers trusted Jesus before they were 10 years of age. Oh, yes, Mm. yes. And so children's ministry is so strategic and uh, that the door is open there for you to teach the Bible in the state schools. It's just a wonderful blessing. Yes. Yes. Yes, Yes. it's a privilege. Yes. Well, let let me pray uh, with you and for you. Uh, Lord, we thank and praise you for your word. That, as our sister said, speaks for itself. We thank you that your Bible is powerful because it is not merely a book written by men. It is your book, Lord. You have inspired it. You have uh, given it to us so that we could know about you and know about your love and know about our need for a Savior and your provision of a Savior named the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this open door for the Word of God in Wales. And we pray that that door would remain open, Lord, Mm. and that Margaret and other believers who are trained would continue to go into those schools in humility and love and with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that they could convey to the students uh, the things that your Word majors in so that these students would see that Genuine faith in Christ alone is what is necessary in life and that they would uh, be changed as children so that they would be changed adults, changed fathers and changed mothers and uh, changed employees and changed employers. So, Lord, we rejoice in this open door and the believers who have walked through it, seeing ministry not as I've got to, but as I get to. Thank you for that joy and service. May we all have it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary, located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember... Everyone needs a savior.